Magnified with Matt Cooper, sponsored by MG. Choose from plug-in, hybrid or all-electric. Book a test drive at mg.ie and recharge your soul. Hello and welcome to Magnified with Matt Cooper. This is a podcast designed to spend a bit more time with the guests than I might normally have on my radio show, The Last Word. And today we're joined by a former Munster and Ireland rugby star, a man who's had his own financial difficulties having endured bankruptcy, but keeps bouncing back and is the driving force behind the incredibly popular Pendulum Summit, which is on in Dublin this month. Today's guest is Frankie Sheehan. Frankie, you know the way in rugby, one of the earliest things that they teach you is not to leave a rugby ball bounce. It strikes me that you've spent your whole life chasing bouncing rugby balls. And I don't mean on a rugby pitch, but throughout your life, it's sort of like a metaphor for you. And you keep catching them and you keep running and they keep bouncing away from you and you keep coming back. You're indefatigable. You just keep going, don't you? Oh, Jesus, I don't know about that. Uh, Matt, you'd have to ask my wife about that. I'm, uh, you know, grump and I'm on at home with my own time. But uh, look, I suppose I, I, I consider myself very lucky. Um, gratitude is something I probably don't do enough, but I, 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 I am great, very grateful for everything I have. You know what I mean? I'm, you know, where am I? I in particular, what 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 sort of things are you grateful for? Well, uh, you know, I suppose I I've, I've, I've five kids, five kids. They're all healthy. Um, I'm healthy. My wife is healthy. My family, my parents are all alive, and you know, I I have a good life. You know what I mean? We've 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 a nice house. We're involved in sports. We're, um, you know, we have we have a few quid if we want to go on a holiday. We can you know we can go for eat you know out when we when we like, and you know different small things like that, and and. And I suppose there's so many people out there who just who just don't have that luxury, you know. And we all meet them all the time. And there's um, and, and some people just don't have a chance from the start. And I suppose the more people you meet, the more you realise. And I suppose maybe the older you get as well, the more you feel, the less you probably need as well. And uh, so so I am, you know, very very grateful. So when when and life like Matt, life is it will throw you the curve ball when you least expect. We all know that. And it's a case of I suppose. When, whenever you were, you know, playing rugby and you were dropped from a team or you had a bad day at the line out or something like that, and you're, you're you're told you can't throw or you can't do this, and you know, there, there were loads of different things like that, or you exactly you get an injury at totally the wrong time. You, you can't, you, you can't, I suppose, what do they say, fighter jets, they don't have any rear view mirrors, you just have to keep looking forward. I mean, you might have a small little opportunity to reflect and, and sort of mourn and feel sorry for yourself. But it, that's all it is. It's a small opportunity. And it, very often that, and this sounds overly positive, but when things happen like that, they're happening for another reason that you don't see at the time. But very often when you look back after, you say, geez, wasn't that great? Wasn't that actually that really helped me uh, to understand things better or build a different aspect of my game or I went away and I did this or you know, time to reflect or whatever it is, you know. So, so I am, you know, I, I am grateful most of the time. But as I said, you could ask my wife about that and she'd probably disagree with you. 
Well, you did have really difficult times. I, I, I wasn't going to start here, but I think I will talk to you about the bankruptcy because I mean, that's a major event for anybody to actually suffer. And, you know, you talk about having your house and being able to go out and have a meal. But to be left in a position where the banks are chasing you and it got to the stage where you had to declare personal bankruptcy, it might be positive now. But if you look in that rear view mirror, how hard was all of that? Um, I suppose I, I go back and I look at it. I mean, what did I do? I suppose I was playing rugby. I knew that career was going to be a limited time and I was going to have to retire maybe, you know, early 30s, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, I was trying to plan for the future and, you know, property was going up at a rate of knots and it seemed like the uh, smart, obvious thing to do to invest in property. And that's what I did. And, um, you know, I suppose when the whole, you know, global financial crash came, it coincided when I was finishing my rugby career, as as it turned out. And, you know, it, it was what it was. I mean, I suppose, what did Robert Frost say? I mean, banks give you uh, an umbrella in the fine weather, they ask for it back when it starts to rain. And we only had one, it was only one bank. And it was, I think when we all look back and reflect, I mean, it just depended on what bank you had and, and the particular bank we had just were, were using that Robert Frost analogy, they wanted it back now. And as t- things turned out, and today as I'm sitting here, Matt, uh, you know, if if the, 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 the property that I ended up going bankrupt with one bank, and it was only one creditor only, that was, I suppose that was a big part of it. And we tried everything, I tried every, every absolutely everything in my power uh, to get things sorted, but it had just gone too far in the courts and stuff like that, I think. And, uh, but I think um, when, when you look back and you reflect, and the reality is no, time was a healer in that that portfolio would be would be positive equity today if there was just a bit more patience in the whole thing. And, I, you know, I, I'm not the first person for that to happen to, but that's just the way it is. And uh, unfortunately, it had, it had to go nuclear. Um, you know, there's a bit of a, the public shaming of, you know, going bankrupt because I would consider I've never had a debt in my life you know I always would pay back immediately you know what I mean um, honour before time you know what I mean always you know what I mean and that's just a training I would have got from my father and stuff like that before us and this this was just one that that um, yeah when, when the litigation kicked in and you know I suppose it became public uh, I suppose people got backed into corners and it, it was what it was you know uh, it, you know it, it was disappointing to see it happen to go like that but look there was nothing I could do about it. I tried everything, everything in my power, you know. Frankie, a number of things struck me about that. I mean, I thought you were so, so unfortunate in a number of respects. The point that you make that, you know, if they had held on and waited, that portfolio would now be positive, would be worth something. So there was probably, it was too quickly that they moved upon you. The sum of money, while it was big for you personally, was tiny by comparison with the sums of money that were owed by so many other people. And do you think that maybe they made a little bit of an example of you because you were a high-profile figure, that you were known as a former Munster and Ireland Rugby International? Look, I'm not, I'm not going down the, the, the victim mentality here. It was what it was. Uh, we, we ended up sort of, you know, the letters started going back and forth and, you know, I was as responsible as anyone for writing some of those letters. And, you know, I, you know so, I, you know, it, it was what it was. I, I honestly look back and I, I don't think... There was going to be another solution. As I said, we tried everything. We, you know, we had a lot of contacts. And, you know, there's actually the same bank. There's a lot, so many have come back to me. So many are, are gone now from the bank, actually, who were on the other side. And lots of others have kind of come back and apologized, you know, uh, you know, 
more personally to me, you know what I mean? But that's, I mean, Mike, look, I, I don't, I, I don't uh, go into that either. I'm not looking for anything. It was what it was. And I, I, I moved on for it. I'm not harboring any bitterness or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it, it was what it was. And, and uh, I know what you I know. And actually, I think, Frankie, that's, I think that's what's really impressive is that you don't try and portray yourself as a victim. I'm asking you about it. It's not something that you want to actually, oh, look at me, look at desperate situation. But I, I am interested. I mean, there must have been an enormous amount of pressure about things like you know, worrying about the family home, worrying about being able to provide for the children, because those are the things that you said at the very outset, you know, the family is what's most important to you. I, I, think, I think when you look back um, and you think about money and look, Matthew, five kids as well. And, you know, that, that that is the important thing. But I think when you do have five kids, it's a great discipline to be able to say, hey, I, I can't afford here to be feeling sorry for myself. I got to go out and make things happen here separately. You know what I mean? So I, I think I think that can that can be a good thing. I think that, um, you know, I, 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 I feel that there's a lot of people who will, will use that, things like that as crutches going forward for the rest of their life, you know, excuse-itis, you know, that's, you know, a, a fairly good term. Um, I prefer to try and look back and say, you know, what did it teach me? It, you know, did, it taught me, number one, when you say about, like, the bitterness, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'd be totally selfish in that because um, the hot coal of bitterness that one holds is only one person gets burned, you know, that's yourself. You know, you know, you ask the Buddha about that, like bitterness, resentment. Uh, we all know people who get sick and, and, and stuff like that. And very often it is down to those things, harboring resentment, bitterness, hate, stress, all those things. They're, so from a, from a purely selfish point of view, I'm saying, whoa, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> best of luck to you. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to harbor those, you know what I mean? Because I don't want to, I want to stay healthy uh, and fit and, and so forth like that. So, and then the other thing, Matt, as well, is like, you know, I think it, it gives it, uh, I suppose, a different perspective to money. Is money important? Of course it is. Um, but when you look back, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you just need enough, like day by day to, to keep things going. You know what I mean? And you could have, you know, a property portfolio worth, you know, 500,000 or a million in positive equity. But there's only so much money you actually need and can use at a time. You know what I mean? So it does, you know, when it's all pulled away from you and actually, you know, a lot of the time, the easier option actually from a financial point of view is to go bankrupt actually, because if you say all oh, 500,000 and uh, basically, and I actually felt a bit sorry for, you know, very often you might have two public servants who, you know, might be on a combined income of maybe, you know, 120,000 and they're mortgaged up to here. And, you know, uh, you know, their bank was really going hard with them and they didn't have that, that option really to do what I did probably because, very often, I mean, the, you know, the debt goes away when you go bankrupt, you know what I mean? So so it's actually, it's actually, in one side, it, it is an easier way out, do you know what I mean? But at the same time, uh, I think the government made changes that to make it like that, in fairness, and they, they did it for a reason with the ISI, um, and to basically allow people to, to exit it at, a, at an earlier time, you know what I mean? So there's people a lot worse off out there, um, and, and from that point of view, so at least... By doing what I did, you get back to zero in a, in a short space of time now, and then you can move on from that. And of course, Frankie, it also, as well as prompted you and motivated you and incentivized you to go for the Pendulum Summit, which is now your big thing. So tell us a little bit about the idea of how that came about, what your vision for that was, because there are plenty of business conferences 
How did you come up with this idea to make it somewhat bigger and to make it something that's become so well known? Yeah, so I suppose when I go back, I'd say 35 years ago, I, I, I wasn't a bookworm by any means, Matt, but I always gravitated to personal development, self-help type books. And I kind of got into a bit of visualization, even back then, creative visualization. And I was always kind of, um, I was always interested in that kind of motivation in, in you know, um, how you could plant those seeds and how you could manifest uh, basically by by writing things down and, and, and actually visualizing basically. So I was always into that space. I'd, you know, I'd read the odd good autobiography or good business book or whatever it was. So, uh, so then obviously then going into my whole rugby side of things, you know, reading books like Think and Grow Rich, reading books like The Secret, reading books like Psycho-Cybernetics, all these different ones, a lot of them were the same. A lot of them were very similar, just written in different styles. And, you know, all of these experts going through the generations and hundreds of years, I mean, they're not all wrong. And actually, a lot of that stuff is, is in the Bible, actually. You know what I mean? From Written in a different way as well. You know what I mean? A lot of this, you know positive thinking and manifesting and believing, you know what I mean? There's no doubt about it in my mind that positive thoughts are hundreds of times more powerful than negative thoughts, you know what I mean? I mean, they, they, and, they, and they will they will manifest themselves. And I think every successful sports or business person will, you know, validate that as well, you know? So I obviously went then playing professional rugby, but I had actually written down that I wanted to play professional rugby at home. My mother found it years later that, you know, here's what I wanted. I wanted an IRFU contract because the game only became professional in 95. I left UCC around that same time, so it coincided nicely. But I had actually written down what I wanted. I wanted to do this. And in fact, I was... I was very keen at the time, if you remember, there was, the rugby league was very big. We used to watch it every Friday evening. And, you know, through a friend of mine, I was, he had some clients over from Wigan. And I remember at the time kind of having it, an informal setup of a trial over there. If, you know, the union didn't become professional. No, there was no guarantee, but I would have got over there, paid for my own flight and got over for a trial. But as it turned out, the game became professional. So I was, I mean, I suppose the thought. Sorry, Frankie, I have to tell you. You, you do know there were no line-outs in rugby league. It wouldn't have been much use for a hooker trying in the yeah, ball. Well, yeah, that, that might have suited me. <laughs> um, so, um, so, so anyway, the game became professional. And, you know, I suppose you, you someone like a, a Declan Kidney, who was my teacher for six years in Prez, and, you know, uh, and coach as well. And, and I, so I went through that whole schooling of, you know, I suppose high performance really in in schools rugby went through the monster setup Irish under twenty ones and and then obviously on Ireland. So, I suppose by doing that, I was I was I became a student of all the great coaches and fellow players that I played with and against, if you like. You know what I mean? So I've you know been lucky enough to play. You know, I got my first cap under the likes of Warren Gatland. I played under Kidney or Sullivan uh, and others as well. You know what I mean? And. You know, even guys like Alan Gaffney, they all have their own little style and stuff like that. And they've all, you know, they'd all contribute in their own different way. But then playing with players like uh, going back to the Mick Galway times, to the Paul O'Connells, the Jim Williams, the Axel Foley's, Brian O'Driscoll's, you know, and then playing against the likes of the Martin Johnsons and, and the great uh, Leicester and, and England teams as well. So you, I suppose, you do pick up. Uh, and you get, a, I suppose, some sort of informal qualification, the whole leadership, high performance, 
whether you, you you're planned to or not, you know. And uh, so so like coupled with that, then you know the retirement came in two thousand and nine, and I was I was just always into that space, high performance, well being, leadership, all those areas. I ended up doing it thanks to IROP at the time, Irish Rugby Players Association. I did a higher diploma in leadership in the IMI actually, and I found it very very good. It you know helped me back up and validate a lot of the stuff I was thinking anyway. And we set up a speakers bureau, which was uh, front row speakers, which you you'd know. So we would deliver a lot of the speakers for uh, a lot of the blue chip companies in 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 Ireland and abroad as well. Uh, when it comes to things like you know they want somebody to motivate their team, they want someone to talk about performance, diversity, you name it. So I suppose I it was in a very unique position that I was having direct conversations with all these you know HR directors, L and D experts, CEOs business owners. So we were hearing, you know, from the horse's mouth, what the changing trends were, what the challenges were, what the opportunities were. And then the speakers that were going to these organizations were telling us uh, what their views were on that. So this was amazing. I mean, it could be Google one week, it could be, you know, JP Morgan the next week, it could be Johnson & Johnson. And we found, I suppose, that the principles in all these areas, it doesn't matter what industry you are, they transcend all of them. So. And that's where you often see like a successful business guy can transfer from pharma into financial services into tech. There's the same principles of, you know, of, of, of what to do. So uh, we had that light bulb moment then, and, you know, at one point then we said, wouldn't it be great to have one event that once a year that was for everybody in that space, I guess, of maximizing the potential in all aspects of their lives, right? So, uh, you know, you know, you got to get yourself right first number one, because if you're not right, you're no good to anyone else. A bit like what the airlines would say, put your own oxygen mask on first, because you can't help anyone unless you're right. So get yourself right first. And then building out from that, right? So we've other things like, you know, so that's self-empowerment, you've authentic relationships, you've leadership and team performance, things like business excellence and professional and wealth elevation, you know, just some of the, the, the pillars which we created. So we had the first event anyway in 2014 with the, um, you know, with Chris Hadfield, the, the Canadian astronaut, and the timing that was good. I was, yeah. Why, why did you pick him for your first event? Yeah. I mean, like he's become enormously popular here in Ireland. But what was it that made you realise you could actually sell a conference based on him as the main speaker? Yeah, I was. I, I I knew he he was very topical at the time. I think he'd sent the first tweet Osquelia from space. Uh, he was very. Uh, Irish uh, like at the time there was a connection his daughter was in university I had actually I was actually born in Canada and my my uh, so I lived there for a small bit but there was a little Canadian connection there and I you know this guy these guys are big money you know these guys could be six figure sum um, and I was able to kind of broker you know pull the heartstrings you know I'm an old uh, Irish fellow the retired washed up rugby player uh, and I'm Canadian as well can we do something you know so it worked and uh, actually, he, we had it in January and everyone said, Frank, you can't have a conference in January. Everyone's back to school. It just can't happen. I said, I know, but that's the only date he can do. So we had it in January and then we got guys like Frank Dick. If you remember Frank Dick, he was a brilliant high performance coach with the UK um, um, Olympic team and stuff like that. And we got guys like Jack Black. Uh, at your Willie Walsh spoke as well. So we got these brilliant people in. And, and to be fair, most people who arrived uh, on the day, it was about 600, they kind of came to give me the break at the ball, if I'm being honest, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but to a man, woman afterwards, they were like, whoa, Frankie, there's, you're onto something here. This is good. This is good. And we've just grown it since. We've had the likes of Tony Robbins. We've had, you know, Richard Branson. We've had 
Bear Grills, we've had Large Sugar, we've had Baroness Michelle Moan, you know, Joe Malone, uh, John Cleese, Nick Vajocek. I mean, my God, I mean, Matt, I mean, to this day, Nick Vajocek, you remember that guy, he's no arms and no legs and, and you know, and walks and moves around the stage. I mean, you talk about gratitude and here's a guy who has more gratitude than anyone I've ever met. And he's four kids. He is, he's more money than, than you even, Matt, like he's right. Uh, he, he's, he's, um, and he's so grateful and he's not using, he's no arms and no legs. He was one of the best speakers we've ever had. You guys like Bob Rotella. I mean, wow, what, what a, what a presentation he had. And I'm going to, there's what a bit of, you know, these guys are all my heroes. This was Jack Canfield and Deepak Chopra and all these different guys. So we've had them all, and and it's it, what an opportunity to get to meet them all. And I suppose it, you know, I, I'm a, I suppose a perpetual student. I'm, I'm constantly learning, and as far as I'm concerned, it's like going to the gym. You go to the gym for a few weeks, you get fit, but then if you stop, you you lose your fitness. So you have to keep working on this mentally as well. So, so it's great for us to be able to sort of uh, I suppose tap in and 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 talk to these guys and connect with them and and. And I suppose my bit for I, the green jersey as well, you know, we took great pride in bringing thousands and thousands of of people to Dublin in the quietest time of the year for business tourism in Dublin, which would be around that January time. And, you know, these guys are, you know, they, they invest a lot in the local economy and in hotels and restaurants and flights coming in and out and everything, you know. So... You know, they're, they're, we would generate millions for the local economy of Dublin around that time as well. So, and, and I, I, it was my way, I suppose, as well. It was nice to be able to do something for Ireland, I suppose, as well. It puts it on the map too. I mean, you, we think Ireland is big, but, you know, you know, with Stedman Graham, I remember last year, which would be Oprah's partner, you know, and, and I mean, he just, he loves Ireland. But these guys come in and then they, they, they're, they're post, they're, some of them, have, some of them mightn't really have heard of Ireland. We forget that, like, you know, we're Ireland, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So, and these guys then would put the tweets out and they'd put, you know, their, their social media posts and Instagram and all that out. And it, it's great. It, it puts Ireland on the map, you know what I mean? Which, which you know, it's, it's a nice. It's a so, so Frankie. Who, whose idea was it to uh, get Conor McGregor and Richard Branson to strip down to their waists and have a mock fight? <laughs> well, I, I brokered that deal with Conor McGregor about two or three hours before the event. Uh, be, be, sorry, during the day, basically. And uh, he said, he's, you know, I was talking to his manager. He said, look, he's around and you do it. And I said, all right, OK. Um, so he was supposed to bring a pair of shorts for um, Branson to present him with. And uh, you know we were we we were supposed to have an award for uh, Connor uh, on site, but it was something that might have slipped our minds. So <laughs> there was a bit of a panic to uh, find an award. Uh, I have to thank my brother brother Joey, who kind of I think ran up to Brown Thomas or Arnott's or somewhere like that, and and uh, was able to pick up something to give, so something they could give. So. I suppose the two of them, if you think about it, Matt, they're both showmen like Branson will never miss an opportunity. Like he's a bit probably like, a, you know, he, he will never miss an opportunity. And you could tell he's in good shape. He's obviously training a good bit. So he was probably mad to get his top off. And all of a sudden, I think McGregor was less reluctant to do it. But Branson pulled his top off. And uh, it, it was amazing, Matt, because it was just it was just the, the, the flashes were going everywhere. And we did a pendulum in New York then and the end of 2018 and I, I'll never forget it I, I got got into a taxi in, in, in New York you know JFK and he's going where are you from he says I said I'm, I'm Ireland you know um, yeah 
I know him well, actually. Yeah, man, yeah. I said, you know what, here, have a look at that, you know. And and I was able to show him that he had seen it. It got like, it, it, it immediately got 10 million views internationally. And it, it went viral. It's got, we've got way more afterwards, you know what I mean? So it was amazing, I suppose, you've seen the social media and the way things can go viral really like that. But yeah, look, look, it, it was what it was, you know what I mean? But actually... You know, well, I, I want to ask you, Frankie, though, about some of the other um, guests that you had and Tony Robbins, because I remember at the time when Tony Robbins came and gave his presentation, a lot of people started giving out that, oh, this is a load of old guff. And I remember actually bringing you on the last word to defend Tony Robbins in the face of criticism from some of the well, listeners. Well, what is you, it about Robbins that you like? I'll tell you exactly what happened that time, Matt. <laughs> there was... There was 3,000 people in the room, and I'd say 2,995 <laughs> were just absolute fanatics. And there was one or two cynical people at the event, which you get, you will get. And uh, and I'd always say, if you are not open to listening or, you know, if you think you have it all, please don't come to the building, right? And we got one of those guys, and it, you, you, Shagger, you ended up just jumping on his one thing and you you because you're you i don't know would you be that into that space either you're quite i won't call you so you're very skeptical you'd be uh, you'd be very kind of wouldn't you a bit, yeah. uh, and like so you were uh, you jumped on that one and i was mad you what are you doing here like this is like this is like because i knew from a conference point of view we had like we had three thousand people like and as i said literally nearly every one of them it was like from a rugby point of view it was like beating England by 20 points in Lansdowne Road and everyone's like and then someone from Scotland didn't like the match or something like that that's what I was like I'm telling you and I'm being honest with you here now that's exactly what it was like because I, I did give out to you after you remember <laughs> and, I, I remember uh, very well so then I came on and I was like I was defending like beating England by 20 points in my head like I was like what's going on here like, you know but uh, yeah look it is and and, and some people there's some people who are like, uh, you know, I meet people all the time go to the conference and like Tony, like Tony Robbins, when he's dead and buried, he'll go down as the greatest ever. He is just his his energy. He is he is unbelievable, Matt. Like, you know what I mean? If you spend a bit of time with him and what you see with him, and it's not the same with every other speed, what you see with him, I suppose we call him rugby on the field and off the field. When you see him on stage and you meet him backstage, he's the same person. The energy, enthusiasm, and mindset that man has is, is is absolutely incredible. And he, you know, Frankie, I remember the documentary that was made about him. And before he goes on stage, he has a little trampoline yeah. uh, at the back, a little mini trampoline that he bounces on to get his energy going. Did he actually bring that he with did, him yeah. to the pendulum summit, or did you have to get him one? Absolutely not. Brought that with him. You know, I mean, this guy, Matt, like this guy. Is you know he is he a billionaire? I don't know, but he like to to get him for an event like that, you'd need at least a million dollars if you're lucky enough to get him. And there's a convincing job then, and you know that's that's how you didn't pay him uh, that much though, did you? It wasn't far off it, Matt. It wasn't far off it, you know. And and you know what? He was worth it. He 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 is that good, you know. Um. So like that. I mean that that's the level you're talking about here, you know. So 
Um, but there's, I mean, like, but he. But sorry, Frankie, that, I love your ambition in relation to that for going for those big names. Whatever I might personally think of Tony Robbins and various, you're actually playing major leagues, and I really do appreciate and understand that. I did love the story, though. I wonder if it's true that. Um, his ego would be slightly elevated and that he felt that he had a need for security when he was in Ireland and wouldn't stay in a particular hotel because it overlooked the river and he didn't feel safe. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> and and we, we uh, our, our hotel partner from the beginning, actually, is the Marker Hotel. And it, I suppose we'd be very loyal as well to our partners, and and uh, it, it it came to the deal nearly came to falling through over this small, seemed like a relatively small thing, but they were just backed into a corner. And I remember talking to somebody, I had to get some advice from somebody, and I I just I, I said right, that's the line on the sand. I gave in and everything else nearly, but I said no, uh, you know this is our hotel partner. These guys have been loyal to us. Uh, that's ridiculous. Now, to be fair to him, that that wasn't. Um, that's a kind of a secret service thing. That's like that. That's not. So he he'd have somebody from, some from the secret service, an ex kind of retired person, and the guy flew over from England to check out the hotel and the whole lot. And eventually, after that, I know to pay his costs again, of course. Like, but eventually, after checking all that out, he he said, "Okay, we can we can work with this eventually." But like that is. If you're talking about big names like like world leaders and stuff like that, that is a thing when when there's hotels near a river and stuff like that. So that's the level we were at. And and these guys, the commander are mad people ever. They do need security, you know. But then sometimes you some of them then uh, like Branson wouldn't have had any security, and he'd probably need it as much as anyone, you know. So there's there's different different people, you know. You gave so, us a long list of really impressive names of people who've attended the conference. You left out one though that I'm going to have to ask you about. Boris Johnson. What possessed you to bring Boris yes. Johnson to the 2019 yes. summit? Well, remember I was saying a while ago, Matt, that we would be having conversations all the time with business owners and everyone, you know, around what, what's happening. Uh, what are the what are the touch points, the pain points? And Brexit was, if you remember, we've hopefully we've moved on now from the pandemic, but, but you know, prior to every day we were talking about the pandemic, it was every single day it was Brexit, 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 Brexit. Now, so this was a pain point for all of our clients. And the thought process was who's the person most responsible for Brexit? Boris Johnson. So we said, you know, why not? I suppose we could easily roll out a, a local minister to say the same old stuff that all of our delegates had already heard. So we said, why not bring the person who is most responsible for this? And I suppose the thought process from our point of view was that if he could prepare our delegates even one, two, three percent more for what's to come, that maybe that this could be helpful, you know? And and so we got on to we 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 paid premium for him again. I mean, and I I won't I, I I'm bound to confidentiality, but those those numbers were printed in the in the British press. Um because of freedom of information, they were able to print them. Plus, by the way, they uh, there was a lot more pay than that because uh, there was agents fees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway, uh, we brought him over, and uh, it, it was you know I have to say as a guy to meet him, he was a smashing guy, very likable guy, very um, very personable, uh, lovely guy, and he was oh I I used to play rugby as well, and we were chatting away, and he said I remember you playing and this and so forth, but. But actually, what what I like most about him actually is is it it nearly fell through in the end because I had asked Brian Dobson 
to uh, to interview him. And in fairness to Brian Dobson, he said, "Yeah, I'll do it." But uh, you know, I, I'll see him on the day. And of course, the agents for Boris and everything came on, and they said, "Look." Uh, we need to get the guys to have a conversation before it, um, you know, on a telephone call. And then at the event itself, they'll get to meet. And uh, so I said, yeah, no problem. So I went back to Brian and I said this, and Brian said, under no circumstances. And I was, oh. Uh, and he said, no, absolutely not. This is, you know, I will not speak to him before it, which I absolutely admired from Brian Dobson. I mean, he's, I think, he, he you know, really, and, and Brian was like, right, I'm not doing it so. And, uh, and, and which... I was like, oh, as an event organizer, I was like, oh, geez, what am I going to do here, you know? So um, anyway, we went, we went back and it was, the, the, the agents were no way. And uh, I was due to have a call with Boris anyway. And I kept missing, they kept missing the time he had put out. And I, and I said, look, what's, what's Boris's number anyway? And I just, so between the jigs and the reel, I got Boris's mobile number, which I still have. <laughs> and, I ended up on a conversation with Boris. I said, Boris, can you help me out with something? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no problem. What do you need? You know, I said, well, you know, there's one of the, you know, uh, I, I was going to say that the, the top um, uh, journalist or the top um, interviewer in Ireland, but I'd say the joint top with Matt Cooper. He, he's there and... <laughs> uh, go on, Frankie, go on. <laughs> he's, you know, he, he, he won't do this because, you know, uh, he's with RTE and this is... Oh, but that's journalistic integrity. I know I hadn't heard this term at the time. It was like, yeah, 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 that's it. Oh, I, I understand that. I get it. Yeah, no problem. I'll do it. And I thought, I thought that was that was amazing. You know what I mean? He just said, "Bang, yeah, let's do it." And uh, and I, I thought the whole thing went well. We were nervous going out that he might get booed, actually. Uh, but he, you know, to his credit, he got out and he won the crowd over within minutes. And he told the story about uh, you know who was the most important person in the Jaws movie and they were like the mayor you know the mayor and he you know gave himself the mayor but he just he did it in a way that he won them over and then we we left him and then we brought Brian Dobson on and Brian like just went for the throttle in in, in doing what he does best and he just went for him and totally and utterly rattled Boris but it was good I think you know in that we we gave him his little piece and then Brian went for him and it, and it was great and it was great and and you know, did people learn much? You know, I, I think I think it was it was we would always try and encourage diversity of thought, diversity of opinion. You don't have to agree with it, but you know, let's listen anyway. And guess what? You might learn. And and it was good. We got we got plenty of headlines as well. And uh, and I still have Boris's number on the phone in case I need him for, for a pendulum London at some stage, you know. You probably will when he's actually no longer British Prime Minister, but his fees will probably be <laughs> even double and treble what they were when you paid. Was it a worthwhile investment? I mean, it was reported that he got 57,000 sterling out of it under the Freedom of Information, which would suggest when you have agents, fees and everything, it must have cost you about 75 grand to bring him over. Was that worthwhile? Did you sell enough tickets on the back of him to make that a legitimate investment? Well, I'll, I'll, I can't comment on the figure, but you, you've done your research, right? But um, it's very hard to tell exactly. Um, I, I, had, I never had so much interaction on LinkedIn, actually. I had 100 plus people. And I like LinkedIn because it's, you know, you can't hide behind a different identity. If you I want to say something to you, I say it. And we can have an argument, which I like. I, I, I despise, actually, this, this anonymous stuff you know what i mean in in, in twitter and these different ones yep. you know? but anyway 
I, I there was over a hundred people who who went at me kind of hard, and I and I you know. Uh, I, I went back to every single one of them, you know what I mean? And in, in exactly what I said there a while ago, I said, look, you know, if it's not your company, fine, but we're, we are encouraging diversity. Oh, you might learn something. Who knows? You know, what, what have we got to lose? We can give you the same mug up over here. And I think it's always good to hear the other side, you know what I mean? I think as you get older as well, and that's what you do ultimately very well, Matt, is that you have to hear both sides, you know what I mean? And and. You know, there's that old um, cartoon that you often see that one guy is sitting on one side of the table and the other sitting on the other side, and I'm saying it's a six, and you're saying it's a nine. And I'm saying, Matt, it's a six, and you're saying it's a nine, and we're both right, actually, because you're looking at it, it's a nine, and, and I look at it, it's a six. So when, when you actually kind of dig down and, and, and you, you understand that, so so we got a lot of criticism. I, I, have, I, I actually have one or two organizations today who I know uh, have not done business with me since because of it. Really? You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, some people were just, it upset them so much, like, you know, which I, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, it's, it's disappointing, obviously, and you're always trying to, you know, try to lure them back. But look, that's, yeah, I do. I do. I know some. Um, and you know, I, I'm not I'm not promoting Brexit on the country. I think it's it it doesn't seem to be working out for them, you know, at all, um, at the moment. But who knows? And and you know, he's got this thing in his head. I think he wrote a book on Churchill at one point, Matt. I think, and I I think in his own head, he Churchill is his hero, and he you know wants to portray himself as that hero when maybe with Churchill in, in you know post was a World War Two when he kind of save Britain type of thing, you know what I mean? And then he was gone again and, you know, so I think he, he's, he, he's got a bit of Churchill in him in, in his own head, if they, you know, that's his role model or something like that. So, um, so I don't know how it's going to play out. It doesn't seem to be working for businesses over there. It was over there last week and it's, it seems pretty gloomy over there, you know. What about the Pendulum Summit though for 2022? When did you have the last one? Did you manage to get one in before COVID struck in 2020? Yeah, so so it'll be twenty. We're, we're on now the twenty sixth and twenty seventh of April, um, and it'll be twenty seven months since our last one. It's like confession here, Matt. It'll be twenty seven months since my last uh, in person event. So it's pendulum unbreakable, right? We we do an awful lot of thinking around what we're going to call these things, you know, and um, re when it's we want to reconnect. Um, reignite and reinvent, right? So reconnect. We want people to get back in in person. Let's meet up. Uh, uh, reignite, obviously. Get you know, get get going again. And the reinvent. And of course, having the likes of Steve Wozniak as well uh, from from Apple. There, I mean, ma- amazing to get him. I've been chasing him for years, and to get him, I suppose the invention arguably the greatest inventor dash entrepreneur ever. You know, and uh, so so yeah, we're 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 going. We. We did have one virtual event at the end of November 2020, and that was a great learning. And I think we 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 did we did okay out of it because I think if you remember the virtual events became, I suppose they became a bit of a novelty at the time initially. They were like, oh yeah, virtual event, uh, but then I think they fell off a cliff a bit. You know what I mean? People were like, God, I just can't do it anymore, especially when the summer kind of came in in around 2021. But we also took an opportunity as well, Matt, to launch a, a learning and lifestyle platform, um, which is dedicated to fueling peak performance and holistic well-being. So there's lots of micro-learning courses on this. So it would be like for individuals and companies for 
their learning management system. So they have everything from, you know, Dr. Harry Barry, for example, has 21 days to armor plated well-being, the amazing course and you have fitness courses, you have dietary courses, then you you've like management courses from Brad Sugars or a sales course from Jack Daly. And so there's loads of them. And that's the idea, that's it, that's a recurring subscription model. And uh, so that because so many people love Pendulum, they come and they're like, oh my God, I'd love some more with your dear. So this is our, I suppose, we're our answer to that to give these people something like that. So we're, we're, we're super excited. We have some amazing speakers. As I said, there's, there's, um, we've got Les Brown. Have you heard of Les Brown? No, who's Les Brown? No, if you don't like Les Brown, no, if you Google best motivational videos ever on, on, on YouTube, you, he's, it's Les Brown. It's his voice. He's, he's, um, you know, this guy is mid seventies. He's an absolute prime. He'll go down probably, Tony Robbins would call himself the best kind of strategist, you know, with this guy's the best motivation speaker. If you just want motivation, if you want your arse kicked and to get going, and this is the man. And he's he's never done Ireland before. Uh, he's the number one of the world as far as I'm concerned. We've uh, the Guinness Book of Records, best uh, discoverer in the world. Reynolds Fiennes is there. We have um, Steve Redgrave, who is BBC would say the greatest Olympian ever, five Olympics in a row, gold medals. Uh, Sharon Lecter, Kelly Beaton. Anyway, there, there's there's an amazing, amazing and lineup again. So you're moving. So you're moving from the convention centre to yes. the RDS. I hope the Wi-Fi is good enough for you in the RDS as well. Um, <laughs> moving at the conference area and moving the time of year. I mean, you, I, I'd imagine there's going to be an awful lot of people just want to get out and about and want to go things and they want to meet people and that you're going to do very, very well in getting the numbers there. Are you committed to keeping it in Dublin? Because, you know, previous conferences that have done well in Ireland have gone international and you've been to New York and you've tried to break the New York market as well, haven't you? I mean, do you see yourself staying in Ireland? Um, I, I, I do. I'd love, I'd love to. I'd love to always keep the anchor event, if you like, in Dublin. Um, the model may be at some point that we'd like to follow, even though, I don't know, making plans for years in advance it doesn't seem to be practical anymore these days, the way things can change so fast. But I'd love, you know, say like, say the TED Talks model. The TED Talks have their original TED Talks. And I, th- I think they diluted it too much, if, and who am I to comment on them? But anyway, that they have just so many TEDx events, right? And no, they have a different sort of a, a vision in, in their plan. But, you know, would it be fantastic to have your, your original anchor page of someone always in Dublin, but then you could have another 10 or 12 of them all over the world, right? So, you know, we were in, we were in uh, the Middle East recently, and we have proposals, you know, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Um, but I think the big thing with our event is that we need, you know, we need somebody to underwrite it. We need a big sponsor in, in the host nation, you know what I mean? And it's down to that. Um, if, if you got that, that, that would that would break the back of it. And that was the learning in New York. We, we, we had a fantastically successful event in New York, albeit not economically successful, but it was a really brilliant learning. We broke all the rules. We did it with like a four-month run-up, which people were like, what? Like, you're... Frankie, you need two, three years to plan an event in New York. And I was like, yeah, you know what? But let's just do it anyway, you know? Uh, and we, it was great, actually. It was a great, brilliant learning, dealing with all those HR, L&D people over there. And it was really reinforced that, you know what? Here in Ireland, we are we are as good as anyone in the world, as far as I'm concerned, what we're doing um, in general. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty cutting edge. We work, and this is my opinion, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys, the Irish work ethic is probably better than, than anybody anywhere in the world. I know the Germans get a big rep, but these guys who work in different companies are all telling me the Irish 
are the best, you know, and, you know, I think the hospitality, the food, the restaurants, the hotels in, in Ireland are second to none. We, we're, we're a great little nation, you know, uh, and, and it took me to go to somewhere like New York to realise that, you know, it's, 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 it's a great country here and we should all be very proud of it, you know. Frankie, one of the traits that's really coming across in this interview is you have great self-confidence, you have enormous positivity. But I want to go back a little bit to your rugby career because I'm really interested in the way that you kept bouncing back because your rugby career was sort of stop-start in many respects and not just because of injuries and you would have gone through like most rugby players' injuries at times. But you, there's only one hooker one number two on the pitch at any time. And there were many occasions throughout your career you were battling for your place. Keith Wood comes back to Munster for a while, the big Heineken Cup run in 2000. You're battling against him for a place in the Irish team. Then Shane Byrne comes along. You get yourself established at Munster. Then Jerry Flannery comes along. In, how did you maintain your positivity when at times you weren't getting picked for the games that perhaps you didn't win as many caps, particularly as a starter, as you would have wanted in your career? Yeah, and, and okay, you know, when I look back at times, I suppose when I was starting, if you told me I was going to get one cap, I would have grabbed it with both hands, you know what I mean? And obviously when you get there, I think I, I do have a record for being the guy who sat on the bench the most amount of times without getting a cap. So I probably have about, you know, I have 29 caps, but I'd probably have about 70 odd caps if I got a cap for every time I was on the bench, right? So I was there through the whole thing. Um, and yeah, that was frustrating. And like, look, there's no doubt about it. But like, you know, that's the, that's the gratitude thing, and you keep balancing. And you know, if I'm being really honest, at times was I disappointed I didn't get more? Did I could get a better run at it? Um, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no doubt about that. Uh, do I blame anyone for it? No. Uh, has it maybe given me a bit more motivation? You know, in the next stage of my life, maybe. Um, but I suppose, am I grateful? If you, those guys you mentioned there, now, one of the guys you didn't mention was Rory Best as well. So they were the, probably the four hookers. And actually, all of those four hookers went on. They were number one Lions starters, actually. Okay, Flannery didn't actually go in the end, but he was he would have been the number one hooker, you know what I mean, over there. So, you know, the likes of Keith Wood, you know, if you're picking a world 15 of all time in the morning, it's either himself or Sean Fitzpatrick. You know what I mean? He's that good, in fairness to him, you know what I mean? So they were all, in fairness, quality players, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, I'd like to think that maybe I had I, I had pushed them, you know, pushed them a bit to keep improving as well. Um, you know, and, you know, I played I played against them and, you know, who knows what they think of me or whatever. But, you know, they, they were all good players. And, and, you know, I suppose, yeah, to have that opportunity to to battle against the, the best, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was ahead of a lot of those. I was probably ahead of... All of them, except for Wood at once point. I was ahead of Flannery for years in Munster. I was ahead of Rory Best when he first came on. And uh, uh, and I was, you know, I was ahead of um, Shane Byrne as well at different times. You know, when he got his first cap, he came on for me. You know what I mean? So yeah. the only thing I probably ever ran ahead of officially was Woody in fairness. And, you know, that is, <laughs> that is the way it is, you know. Uh, and I have no sour grapes over that because I was a different type of player. But but then, Frankie, so, yeah, like, you, you did go to two World Cups. You went to the 2003 and 2007 World Cup. And I'm going to ask yeah. you, if there, there's those of us who are old enough to remember the disappointment of the 2007 World Cup, you've been in a good position to assess this because 
and I said this, you were probably the third hooker, weren't you, on the trip? So you were sort of almost like a, a tackle bag holder to a certain extent. But you were probably in a better position to see what was going wrong. In retrospect, what did go wrong for what was regarded then as a golden generation, maybe our best chance of winning a World Cup? I, I think it, it's it, the same thing that went wrong in 2003. Things that went wrong in 2007, I'd say, and it's repeated every time. We, we have a culture in this country of not making changes. And I think that, that I mean, that 2007 World Cup, I only met Brian Kearney last week over in the UK, actually. I mean, I spent a lot of time with him in that 2007 World Cup. And there was guys like Quinny, like we were fit as could be. We were playing, all, you know, all of us were. And in retrospect, and this is, I'm glad for saying this, all they needed to do was, I think what happened was, so they, won the, they won the triple crown in in before when Shane Horn got that try. And from then on, uh, Eddie decided, that's my team, right? Now, if if Eddie's probably, if he's listening to this, and I'd say it to Eddie if he's there, but I just would have said, that could be your team, Eddie, but geez, don't let the lads know it's your team. And that's exactly what happened. So months later, I think, was it, we played, was it Namibia we played? And we nearly got beaten, or, or Georgia, one of them first. Georgia, up in Belfast, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, was that the game? Oh, that was lost? Italy, actually. Because Georgia and Namibia were actually the World Cup games. The was on the you were nearly wall beaten time. by Italy in, in Belfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The writing was on the wall that time. And all that you need to do in a situation, in my opinion, and I was throwing four or five of the, of, of the subs and our, the team, because they add a freshness to it. They do a couple of things. They come in, they're bursting and chomping at the bit. Like all the guys, I mean, like someone like Quinny in particular, like Quinny was playing out of his skin. And... You know, and that, that's no disrespect to Simon Easterby. It doesn't mean Simon's going to get dropped fully, but you, you change him for a game. But the worse they played, the more he left them together. It's as simple as that. And they just got stale. And you'll see it. When Ireland come on, like if you put two or three new players into an Irish team, you need to do it every year. But we have a very slow culture of doing that this part of the world. You go down to New Zealand, you go down to Australia, these places. They don't wait until you're right up here, until you decide you're done. You know what I mean? Like they, they they cut you like they're saying what what's the next World Cup you know they and they're they're giving another guy experience so if you have someone like a John Hayes like John Hayes if you leave him there playing every minute of every game for how many years you can't expect to have another new tight end just come straight in you need to be breeding guys and cultivating and nurturing guys all the way through and like that you know you know it's, and it's not up to there's no one player bigger than the game. No one player has a right to go out on their own terms. Like it's not. I mean, the Irish national team is a, is a sacred thing, and it, it, the Irish national team always has to come first. If if it coincides with that, fine. But other than that, there's no one has a right to go out when they want. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, so that was the disappointing thing that that there wasn't, you know, a few more guys got more runs, and I think it would have added a huge freshness to it. And you know, it could happen again if it happens again. Like I mean, it, it's. It'd be crazy, but it's it's very frustrating when you see it happening, you know. They say in rugby, there's a phrase, what happens on tour stays on tour. But I am going to ask you a question about the 2003 Rugby World Cup and a casino in Melbourne after the end of the tour, where I believe you won €93,000 on the roulette wheel. Dollars. Dollars. <laughs> Sorry. Do- Australian yeah. dollars. Uh, Tell us about yeah, that. Um, a small but before social media, um, Axel Foley was 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 dropped that day for Victor coming into the French game in that 2003 World Cup, and he was 
he was pretty down the same day. So I sort of, uh, I, I met him and said, well, we, we, I suppose we'll have to go out and drown the sorrows. And of course, um, the likes of Mick Galloway was, was not involved in the squad, but he was over touring. Um, Packy Durham, Paul Durham, um, solicitor from Cork, uh, who'd be well known to a lot of guys as well. He was with Mick Galloway and there was Ronan Barry, Red Zern, there was... There was John Lankford was knocking about as well. So we all ended up going out and we had, a, a as Packy would say, an extraordinary night out, right? We had an extraordinary night out. So we, we, we had a great night. And look, sure, we were, like, look, we were dirt trekking, we'd call it. But dirt trekking basically is if you're not involved in the 22 or the 23 for the match day, there's 23 to 30. So you're not togging off. So there's an unwritten thing that you can go up and have a few pints, but oh, you'd still train hard. You'd be up first thing in the morning. No, your head would be pounding a bit, but you'll do the fitness, you do all the training and stuff like that. And once you're not really sort of stepping over the line or, or you're not, you know, causing people to be talking too much, it's, it's, you're kind of left a bit to your own devices. You know what I mean? So we had a great night and we were in the Crown Plaza in Melbourne and this place was absolutely gigantic. It had, um, you know, it was like four nightclubs. It was, you know, five or six bars of restaurants, big casino, the whole lot. And we were upstairs. And at the same time, the Melbourne Gold Cup was on, if you remember. And the Compromise Rules was also on as well. So there was, you know, I remember being upstairs and, and you know, inside the place. And I think Colin Corkery was there as well. He was with the Compromise Rules guys. And there was, you know, it was just like, I suppose it was Celtic Tiger type of, uh, bonanza it was you know probably uh, an unreal world when you look back at it now but uh, I'd say it must have been about two o'clock anyway and I looked at Axel and he was, the head was going to down a bit he was combination of the disappointment but I'd say he probably had enough to drink as well so we um, we went of course to there was a McDonald's it was that big it was a McDonald's in the casino as well so we said we'd, we'd, we'd frequent we went in and we had a, a half a dozen burgers each anyway and uh, uh, when we were walking out anyway, we were passing by uh, the casino and where there's a table where we had been playing uh, Caribbean Stud all week, which is kind of, it's five card kind of poker and you play against the dealer. And now we were like betting, like you, you put one one dollar in this kind of jackpot thing at, at the top, right? And then you would put, you'd have a separate bet, which was your, your normal hand, you get dealt five cards and you play against the dealer, really. So we might have been betting five, ten dollars, this type of thing, you know? And we said, you know, we had a couple of burgers. We have one or two hands there before we go. So we, we, we went over to the table. Just as we sat down, there was two other guys getting up. So we were dealt out the cards anyway. And uh, I picked up my cards. Now, we had a good skinful now, Matt, at this stage, right? And I was like, oh, my God. I put them down again. And I lifted them up again, and I was going through them now. But as I said, I, I couldn't trust myself because we, we were we were we did a good bit to drink, right? So down again. And I said, Christ, I said, Axel, you are not going to believe what I have. And Axel, you're not going to believe what I have. He says, I said, no, Axel, you are not going to believe what I have. I did like it. I think I had a $10 bet or something like that. And I had the one euro on the jackpot. So um, anyway, the dealer opened it. There was a few, there was kind of a few people watching behind and I could hear them whispering because they could very obviously see my hand over my shoulder and I could feel the kind of, kind of nod, nudging and whispering going on. So anyway, the dealer turned over her cards and as it turned out, she couldn't open actually, which was which was bad for me, but she turned over the ones beside me. There was like a, a pair of 
kings, there was something else. And she turned over mine and she organized it and she was speechless and she went, Royal Flush. A Royal Flush. I don't know what the odds are, Matt, but if you get your producer there to, to Google it, it's uh, pretty extraordinary. I mean, it's probably a million to one or something, you know. I had a Royal Flush in front of me. And uh, no, Axel had a two pairs and turned out, <laughs> even though he thought his hand was going to be better than mine. But anyway, um, so if I didn't have the dollar on that jackpot, so up above there's a kind of a little screen and the jackpot kind of keeps, I suppose, accumulating all the time. And the jackpot at that particular moment was 93,500 and something. And uh, I won the jackpot. And uh, there was... The crowd started coming around. It was during that time. Next thing there was like, I think there was Ole, Ole, Uh Now, I would have actually won another fifteen or 20,000 if the dealer opened, actually, dollars. And next thing, Axel's on the phone. He's like, the boys are upstairs. Gollum, Gollum, friends are come on. Fucking get down here fast, you know. And uh, the lads are like, what are you on about here? Get down here fast. So... The boys came down anyway, Mick Galloway and and uh, Packy Durham and, and Ron and Barry came down. But sure, they they were uh, they realised what was happening and it was like, gee, oh my God, there was crowds, there was hundreds there, like, you know what I mean, at this stage, all oh, the Irish, like, you know, so, so it took about an hour to process, they had managers over, supervisors, everything, to check cameras, bang, 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 and next thing anyway, I got up and they gave me the $5,000 chips and I put them in my hand like that and I got up to go and... Next thing I walked and I said, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, this is a, it's a, it's a, a security. And I looked around at the boys, there was Axel, there was Gollum, and there was Ray I'd say, we'll be all right, I said. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we went up anyway, and um, the casino was so big, we were like, how, how do I get this money home? You know what I mean? And uh, the casino was so big, actually, that they honored the check anywhere in the world, actually. So I got a check for $90,000. And uh, we just got cash from the rest. And we went back upstairs and we just celebrated again with, with that, you know what I mean? But then the following day, of course, it's match week. We had to like, we had to, I told one or two really tight guys in the squad. And then it started going out. There was journalists, there was media. I eventually, yeah, I won, I won 9,000, I said, you know what I mean? Because like we were all terrified that we'd get into trouble here, you know? Uh, but anyway, on the very last day, we were knocked out anyway. And the following day, we met informally as a group, the team, we met and we were having a few drinks down the bar and there was a tab started anyway, about four, five, six hours of drinking. And I think it went, tab went to about four or $5,000 anyway. And uh, I took out the card. I said, right, that's, that one's on me. Is. <laughs> so at that stage, I think, but, uh, but actually Axel wrote about it in his book, actually, Matt. So um, and he, I remember him ringing me about it. Like I said, sure, Axel, you were there. Like, so, um, so yeah, so it was uh, yeah, I got I think about fifty five thousand euro it, it transferred to when we got back, you know. So ah look these are these were you know, you had to make the most of them when you're over there as well, you know. So we had a good old day. Pity about the rugby again that time, but sure. Well listen, with luck like that, the next time you're doing the lot, I'll let us know what your numbers are and I might put a few quid on it as well. I'm told <laughs> the odds the odds of that are one in yeah. two and a half million. There you go. One and two and a half million. Yeah. Royal flush. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Unbelievable. Well, I, I, I want to finish up though. I mean, again, we, 
positivity, I think, is your real thing, isn't it? And that's what I really got from you. It's a self-confidence based on positivity and not being afraid to try anything. You're a real salesman, aren't you? Where did the salesman thing come from? Just to finish up, Frankie, where do you think you developed this ability as a salesman? Uh, Desperation, maybe. (laughs) Well, I, I, I wouldn't see myself as a sales guy. I just... I suppose when it comes to something like Pendulum Summit, as you can tell, I'm so passionate about it. I'm not. I'm not making it up. Like when it comes to Tony Robbins, when it comes to uh, you know any of these speakers, you know, like I, 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 I can't maybe logically see what someone would have to lose by going, you know, to a, a place where you have so many uh, of the, you know, the, the level of delegated company attending is sensational. It's a highly charged environment. You could have Pat McDonough from Supermax with 15 of his team as a, as a paid customer. He goes every, every time. David Bobbitt turns over 600 million, you know, uh, supplying the kitchens for McDonald's worldwide, the CEO of Intel. They're all here. Why are they here? Because if they get one small nugget, one small nugget, it's, it, it's, it's you know, so I'm, I'm so passionate about that. And and uh, it becomes, it, it yeah, it sounds like it's silly then after, but it's not. It's just like, what, how could you not go there? You know, I'm, I'm maybe so brainwashed and passionate about the whole thing that I, I and the amount of people then who do go eventually say, Frankie, come here, come here. And it's like at lunchtime of the day. You never, you never told me it was like this. Like what? You'll be like, like this? I said, what is it? I, I thought I did tell you. No, no, you, I knew what you were telling me, but it's just unbelievable. Like, you know what I mean? So... So I, 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 and when we do invest and we bring in these big, big names, I'm like, come on, that's like, so we might have a dozen speakers, Matt, right? And our kind of 12th highest paid speaker might be the keynote of the next biggest conference in Ireland. And I'm trying to just, you know, let people know that, that it's not just another conference. This is, you know, the number one leadership and self-empowerment conference globally. And it's happening in Dublin, it just happens so like to take advantage of it. I travel myself personally as the, you know, two conferences all over the world to actually get these nuggets and, and it's very hard to find them, you know. So when it is here, you know, on your doorstep, you know, I, I just so anyway, that's where that's where the, 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 the kind of sales side comes from. And I suppose when you've a lot invested in it as well, you gotta make it work and you gotta, you know, gotta get on and you gotta you gotta hustle and you gotta you got to tell people the, the, the reasons why they should uh, invest in it for their organization. So so that's probably where a lot of that comes from, you know. Frankie Sheehan, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us here on Magnified. And best of luck with the Pendulum Summit, not just in April, but for all the future years to come as well. Magnified with Matt Cooper, sponsored by MG, the family-friendly electric range. Book a test drive at mg.ie and recharge your soul.